Welcome to Ring and Steel Podcast. I am Patrick Hagemeyer, joined with Mike Hall. We are your hosts this week. Also this week, we are bringing you Derek Darwin from Midland Armory. What we do every week, we are a podcast that are here to talk and promote firearm safety and training, bring industry news and support local businesses, shooting clubs, and support any and spotlight any positive uh, gun uh legislation that we've got going on in the state of minnesota or nationally for that matter mike how are you doing this week i'm doing good thanks patrick so what have we been up to this last week month actually in our case um so right now as everybody knows i own black market coatings uh, we do cerakote and hydrographic dippings for the firearms industry uh, big things are going on. We're actually building a new shop right now. Uh, we are getting prepared to pour the concrete, uh, making some big decisions there. My, uh, Minnesota friends will appreciate. I have committed to doing in-floor heat. Uh, my wife said she will find me out there all winter long laying on the floor, staying warm. Um, not a whole lot's been going on in the world of guns. Uh, you know, with the shelter in place, quarantine stuff going on. We, uh, matches are still on hold. It does sound like they're getting ready to pick up this month, end of this month, beginning of next. So I'm looking forward to that. Get back to shooting with the NRL 22. Um, good thing in Minnesota, fishing season's here, not ice fishing. We are no. <laughs> back, back to getting the boat out. I did get my boat out, got it fired up, uh, getting ready to. And I guess I should add that into the podcast a little bit. We will talk about other stuff, just outdoor type stuff in general, what we're doing. Definitely, definitely will. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to that. My kids are bugging me to get out. So I think next weekend we're probably going to go hit the lake, uh, get a, get out there and get the kids fishing some. Uh, we did shoot some demo video a couple weeks ago. I put one out on Facebook and, uh, Patrick will not let me live it down that I used a free software as those who have been to our Facebook page have seen the Filmora ad across our screen. Uh, I am working on getting that done, but getting that, uh, actually edited out and taken care of, but my lack of video editing skills and general technical knowledge is lacking. So I've picked up three different video editing softwares and cannot get it to compress down to a loadable yet. Uh, Patrick's going to help me get that taken care of here yep. soon. Uh, we'll get some videos up. We did shoot some with uh, Derek. Uh, we shot the uh, Taurus TRL TX22 TX and his uh, CZ Scorpion, my favorite gun, the fully auto machine gun. Uh, did some magazine samples with it. Um, big news for the black market coatings again, too. Uh, as of a week and a half ago, I am the second approved gun candy applicator in the state of Minnesota. Um, so if you know, if you're familiar with the coatings, gun candy is a very, I don't know what you'd call it. Uh, you know, they've, they've got the Harlequins, the Chameleons, some of the fancier metallic coatings, uh, mix in to use with the uh, Cerakote on it. Uh, really attractive coatings for your firearms. Really get some personal touches going there. Uh, one thing I did want to touch on today, um, a big thing I'm starting to do more of myself and I'm guilty of not doing it. You know, I, I carry a firearm. I have my carry permit. Training and practice. Uh, it's expensive to practice. It's expensive to take training. Uh, but it's a necessity. You know, if you're going to carry a firearm and you're going to be in public in a situation where you may have to use that, you need to make sure you can put rounds on target. Not risk innocent people, innocent standbys, stuff like that. Uh, recently this week, I heard a story of uh, BJ Baldwin. For those of you who know, he is a very public figure in the world of off-road motorsports. Um, guy's an amazing driver. He's also an amazing second amendment opponent. He, uh, he gets out there, he trains, he promotes, um, sad story. Him and his girlfriend about, um, I believe it was about a month ago. were eating a late night dinner at a fast food restaurant, got their food, sitting out in their car. They ate, they finished up. They're sitting outside their car and a couple of people approached them through the parking lot, late night hours, lights off in the parking lot. Um, he was quickly able to assess the situation, noticed that one of the people approaching them did have a firearm exposed. 
he got on target, uh, exchanged shots. Uh, from what I recall, and I know I, I'm sorry that I don't have all the specifics on the story. It's something I'm just starting to follow up on and get a little more information on. Well, Mike, before you go into the specifics of what happened, we are sharing a link of the actual story on our page so you can get it from him. Yep. Uh, so go ahead and go to Ring and Steel Facebook page. And you'll find the link to it there. So you can actually get it from him and get, yep. get exactly what happened. Because we don't want to misspeak in any way, shape, or form about this. Yeah, and it, it, it is a uh, it is a video he did, a uh, little bit of discussion with the NRA and stuff. And he does go into detail as to what happened. Um, but I know the, as I guess we'll call him the assailant, uh, did fire a couple rounds at BJ's girlfriend and also a few rounds towards BJ. Thank God he wasn't hit and she was not struck. Uh, BJ, with all his training and practice, 10 rounds. 10 rounds fired, 10 rounds on target. Uh, ended the threat. The guy was down. Uh, the second guy realized that he just entered a real gunfight and fled the scene. Um, I did put a link, like Patrick said, to the Instagram post from BJ. Uh, that will be up. I believe it releases about 7.30 today, which is Sunday. May 23rd. May 23rd. Thanks for the date there. Um, but, again, this goes into, if you're going to carry training, practice. Practice and training. It. I know it's expensive. It's hard. It's something I struggle with. Uh, but it's imperative that you have it. And also, I know I spoke about it on one of our earlier episodes, but you need to know the laws and the proper use and defense of using deadly force uh, a book again i'm going to promote and i don't get anything from it the guy doesn't know who i am uh but it's the book is called oh where'd it go it is the law of self-defense a guide for the armed citizen and it is written by andrew bronca it covers state by state it covers scenarios it talks about everything you need to do before and after um this is it I can't stress how important this is. It is the most important thing if you're going to be a concealed carry, you know, firearm carrier, whatever. You, 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 even if you have guns in your home, you need to know, like in Minnesota, we are a must retreat. This, this is not a castle doctrine. This is not a stand your ground state. It, you don't have the rights you think you have or you expect to have in a country that we live in today. No, each state is different and like, okay, I've had my concealed carry in Texas, I've had it in Colorado, and I've had it in Minnesota now. So I've had three different concealed carries. Those states have vastly different laws. Yeah. Well. Like Texas, if a, they called it 51% state or 51 business, um, if that business makes more than 50% of its income from alcohol, by law, by state law, you can't carry there. So it doesn't have to be on the door or anything like that. It's you can't carry there. They make more than half their business from alcohol sales. Colorado wasn't that way. They had to have the picture on the door, kind of like Minnesota. They had to have up, you can or cannot, you know, we ban firearms on this premise type postings. Right. So it's know what you're doing, know where you're going when it is that. Myself, this last couple weeks here, I've been out turkey hunting. I have decided that I will never go bow hunting for turkeys again did you notice on the show notes you are the turkey slayer extraordinaire i did see that on the turkey the uh show notes for something i haven't done i shot one last year not this year if i would have had a shotgun i could have got one i could have got about six of them by now because well when they're in heavy brush i can shoot through a brush with that shotgun knowing it's a tom but not so much with a bow I mean, you're talking 10, 15 yards. I can see the bird, but I'm going through sticks, and I, I just I can't take that unethical shot. Um, the other thing I did is I bought myself a new boat, and I mean a new boat. I went into the dealership yesterday. I sold my old boat yesterday, uh, went in with the cash to put down more money on the new boat. And I go in, and the owner of the dealership looks at me and goes, you know, we didn't get you a 2020. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, they... They no longer produce those, so you're getting a 2021 at the same price. <laughs> Wait, what? He's like, yeah, you get the first one. You're going to be the first delivery in the country of the Bass Tracker Classic. Sweet. I'm like, all right, something something to look forward to, and it should be here about my birthday. So we'll happy to birthday an, to me. And Unveiling video for the uh, podcast there. Oh, there we go. Once, once, once I do get it all drug home and uh, broken in so we can take it out on the water with some sense of speed. There you go. 
Anyway. Anything else in the world for you, Patrick? Just uh, I've just been cleaning a lot of firearms. I did pick up a Swamp Fox Liberator. I'm loving it. I have it on my, uh, that is on my 300 Blackout AR pistol. Um, it is a green dot. Um, really well made. I, I'd put it right up there with a Sig Romeo 5 without the price difference on it. I mean, it's a reasonably priced optic. It's got torture tested multiple, multiple times. You can go out and see the videos from them. They do a great job um, for a reasonable price. I know, we, Derek, we were talking, I got you interested in them, and you're going to start carrying some of the Swamp Fox optics for the scopes. And I think it's gonna, it's a very good product. And, you, you know, go to their site, check them out, see what's going on. They're out of Colorado, and uh, they're just kind of getting going here, but good products. Yeah, we, we did get set up with them, and I was actually about to place an order for some of their optics, and then I realized, oh, i got to pay property tax on our building, so... Thanks, Uncle Sam. Yep. So, So, what have you been up to, Derek? uh, Just, you know, running the business, trying to get product in, trying to get ammo in. It's a little scarce right now with distributors. You know, everything has been pillaged from all of the distributors during the uh, odd time that we're in with the, uh, you know, it's people grabbing up like toilet paper, I guess. It's uh, just. It's what people do, I guess. They panic, they buy. They panic, they buy. Instead of gradually buying it, and that kind of goes back to the uh, training thing, make sure you have ammo. You gradually pick it up when it's on sale, when it's available. Pick it up a little at a time. Don't, ho- you know, I'm not going to say don't hoard it, but, you know, you pick up a little bit at a time, and you just, uh, you know, stockpile it. You got enough for training, you know, every so once in a while. For me, Derek, what I do is every paycheck I buy at least one box of ammo. Yeah, yeah, that's the way to do it. That way, you know, I want to go out and shoot. Oh, I don't have to go search for anything. And I'll tell you what, finding 9mm or 5.56 at, t- at times, especially like right now, is not an easy task. If I want to go shoot my 44 mag, that's fine, or my 300 win mag, that's fine. I can find ammo for that. Yep. But it's expensive. 9 and 223 are a little bit hard to get hold yeah. of right well, now. Well, a lot of lot of popular handgun calibers, 380, 40 Smith & Wesson even, 45 ACP. All of it, 308 is difficult to find right now. Um you know, there's some hunting rounds, 30 out six. You know, shotgun ammo is really easy to find right now. So if you want to stock up on shotgun ammo, it's not a bad time to do that. So, but yeah, your your popular stuff, defensive stuff. It's you know, even 357 mag. I noticed that disappeared pretty quick because we had ordered a case of that that was purchased right away. So it's uh, yeah, it's definitely been interesting. So yeah, we're just trying to find product. We um. As far as what's going on, you know, suppressor sales, we notice are picking up a little bit right now. We actually just did our first dealer-to-dealer sale with tax stamp because they didn't want to go through the SOT process, the special occupational tax process, which I don't blame them one bit. Um, it's a very interesting process with a dealer because while they still have to pay the tax stamp, they do not have to do the fingerprints or photograph or anything. That's nice. So it makes it easy for the dealer, really easy. So, yeah, we got to do that. Uh Yesterday, actually, with uh, one of my good friends, uh, Mike from Gunrunners. So, bought himself a nice can, so. So, real quick, I am going to reiterate, this is Derek Darwin. He owns Midland Armory. It's a gun shop up in Foley, Minnesota. Uh, They are, I consider them anyways, an NFA item specialist. Uh, We try. He, uh... He's a bit of my idol when it comes to owning cool things. (laughs) He has a few, uh... Machine guns well, or fully automatic firearms. Uh, and, and if Derek, if you do want to plug the thing that you have on your wall to see if someone, because we have a little bit of reach, might want to come and buy that, uh, go ahead and plug what you have sitting on your wall right now. The uh, Shytac M200 Intervention in 408 Shytac we have hanging up, FDE, so one of my favorite firearms colors. I think that's a good so. little squirrel gun or what? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. You know, if you're looking to hit a squirrel at about, you know, two miles. Perfect. perfect. So. So. Anyways, I do want to welcome you, Derek, to the show. Thank you. Um, so if Good you want to first start out, what is Midland Armory and what do you guys do there? All right, so I'll start off with my background a little bit. Um, I've been in, my, my main background is machining. I've been doing that for just over 20 years now. I've been in a few different companies. Right now I do, I work in, I do still have a full-time job because running a business is expensive. Oh, yeah, yes um, it is. So like I said, we just had to pay property tax. I just had to pay sales tax for one of our record sales quarters ever. So it starts to add up quick, but... Um, I work right now in a small, very small shop. We do a lot of prototype and job shop type stuff. Um, so I still do have that gig. So I, I am looking to transition into machining more firearm stuff, getting my own equipment. 
Um, I started Midland Armory back in 2009, shortly after the birth of my first child, just as a way to kind of, you know, take my hobby and use it to make a little bit of money. Um, and it just kind of snowballed from there. I started in my old house. It turned into, uh, you know, some life changes happened. I wound up leasing a space for about a year in downtown Foley that we found. And then that turned into meeting my current wife, and we bought a building just down the road from there, moved the business to there, and we have been there for going on seven years now, I believe, just building it up. Uh, last year, we put all new display cases in there. Uh, we, you know, redid a lot of the, the shelving and stuff. So um, it's just a mom-and-pop shop with myself and my wife operating it. She is there most of the time during the week while I'm working and, you know, keeping the insurance and stuff like that. And and, uh, and I am there in the evenings and on Friday for the most part if I'm not working overtime. So, yeah, like I said, it's just our little mom-and-pop shop. We specialize in finding, you know, the one right thing or making sure you're getting what you're looking for. And that includes NFA items, which include machine guns, suppressors, or silencers. We'll go over, I guess, the terms on that, uh, you know, the terms on those later. Uh, short-barreled rifles. Uh, we're, we're destructive devices are kind of a, we don't do a lot in that, but I believe we can do a little bit based on our license. We are a manufacturer of firearms, um, but we do not have the license to actually co do commerce in destructive devices. Uh, but there are some gray areas there. Uh, we also AOWs we can do and we can get in all these terms later. So obviously so, but yeah, that's kind of what we do. Just a small shop. Uh, we are powered by silencer shop dealer. We have the kiosk, which now is just primarily for doing fingerprints. Um, makes things easy when you're looking at buying multiples. So, um, we can run anything through there, even though we're a powered by silencer shop dealer. We can run machine guns. We can run short barreled rifles through there. We actually have in the past. So, um, you know, and we're still learning. It is, it is a, you know, constantly evolving business. So we have to keep on our toes, keep up on regulations and whatnot. So, but yeah, that's a little bit of what we do. Yeah. Let's jump into the fun stuff. Uh, All right. Something I get into, right? I, I deal with a lot. You know, everybody's like, "Hey, I want a silencer for my gun." I, you pew, know, pew, we've pew, got this pew. this skewed Sorry. view in society Stigma. of what a su silencer or what I I even I I slip and call it. You know, it's a suppressor. It does not silence a firearm. Um, you know, we, we've got the skewed view in society from movies. You, you see somebody running around with their Glock. 15 round magazine first of all they drop 30 to 40 rounds out before they change their magazine out and they've got a suppressor on the end of that but it sounds like an airsoft gun or even less i mean like a rubber band gun going off it makes no sound you know there's no truth to that actually but can you break down the silencer versus suppressor and you know what the actual db reduction of a suppressor is and what the safe hearing db levels are and what the purpose is there absolutely i do think this is a good place to start because what kind of it, it kind of goes back to the development of the firearm suppressor or actually the legal term being silencer it was developed by hiram percy maxim in 1902 um he basically created his first successful uh firearm suppressor in parallel, he de he uh, developed the internal combustion automobile muffler as well. So he used the technology pretty much in both instances. Uh, it was finally patented. Patented. I'm having a hard time with it. In 1909, um, the only reason why it was called a silencer is because that's what Hiram P. Maxim called it. He called it a firearm silencer. It was for recreation purposes, being able to shoot without hearing protection and much more comfortably. Um, I think the original ones were 22 caliber. Uh, I don't know, I'd have to look into a lot of the history on that, but I do know who developed it and around the time frame. Um, so basically, in this kind of teeters into another topic of the NFA itself, because in 1903, there was no NFA. Manufacturers were allowed to basically develop, design firearms, whatever it may have been, at will. There was nothing stopping them. You know, you look back at the designs of John Browning, they were allowed to work unregulated completely. So this was developed and... In, you know, during Prohibition, a lot of crime was going on, black market, stuff like that. Gangsters were using readily available off-hardware store shelf full automatic firearms such as Thompson's and things like that uh, to commit crimes and, 
you know, increase their stronghold, intimidate, so on and so forth. Well, after the St. Valentine's Day massacre, pretty much the knee-jerk reaction was, we need to do something about these. The NFA Act was enacted, went into effect July 26, 1934, basically regulating firearms such as the, you know, suppressor, machine guns, short-barreled rifles. They wanted to actually include revolvers and handguns and all other concealable items on there. That was removed, but still did um, include smoothbore shotguns and such that were under 18 inches. A lot of them were reclassified based on the, um, you know, what they are, how long they are. It depends on how much time you want to get into that. But the government, not having an original thought of their own, took Hiram P. Maxim's term, silencer, and used that, classified it as that, being that it would be used as a tool of assassination. That is not the case. Um, so they they labeled it as a silencer. Otherwise, suppressor and silencer are the same thing. It's silencer is the legal term. When we do the paperwork, it is listed as a silencer just because that's what the government ran with because Hiram P. Maxim was probably not the greatest marketing guy on the planet. So Still aren't. You know, yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, that's kind of the background. They are the same thing. Um, if we want to get into the decibel reduction, it all depends on the firearm, the length of barrel, the cartridge. I mean, whether it's subsonic or not, there's a lot of debate between subsonic versus supersonic. Um, but movie quiet, the only way that is attainable is with a 22 caliber, typically something that is subsonic or like a, a super calibri type round from Aguila. Um, if I'm pronouncing that right, I have no idea, but, uh, they make one and has no powder in it. It just fires off the rim. You will hear the gun actually going off. And here's the thing you need to remember is firearms, even the operation of them racking a slide, uh, racking the action on there or charging the firearm is loud. It exceeds a hundred decibels. So to even get a firearm that quiet, you still have to deal with the action operating the if it's a semi-auto. The so. only one I've ever seen that got close to movie quiet for a full <coughs> round. Now it was still subsonic. It was an integral suppressed, so full barrel, integral suppressed, 22 long rifle bolt action. Yep. That's as close as I've ever heard to movie quiet. Yeah. I, mean, I know when we've been out to the range, you've mounted some of your uh, silencers on my uh, Ruger Precision 22, and yeah, it, it's it's quiet. Yeah. It's, it's a, what, 18-inch barrel, 22 caliber. Yep. I shoot subsonic competition or match rounds through it. So yeah, we get that uh, that quiet sound, but... It's a 22 caliber with a subsonic. You don't get the sound barrier break. You've got just a little bit of powder burn to contain. I wish I wish we would have done this one and done some uh, some shooting before this one, so that Derek could have brought his 308 with and without his can. <laughs> Mike's got to hear that now. So yeah, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely is a benefit to have a can on that one. <laughs> you even need hearing protection still with that one. What exactly is on that it. one, Derek? Uh, I have so. I wanted a short, compact 308 semi-auto rifle. I looked at a few, but the one that stood out to me and met all of my needs was the Robinson Armament XCR, the M-Series, which is their medium platform rifle. It is in the 308 caliber platform, so they are available in 308, 243, uh, 260 Remington, and 6.5 Creedmoor. I have a 308 version with a 9.5-inch heavy barrel on it and a three-chamber dead-air armament break on it <laughs> so you've burnt what about a fourth of the powder before that bullet's exiting yeah. the barrel we're obviously we're not getting full powder burn so not only do we get a nice uh fireworks show you get one uh one great concussion out of there so yeah and the not only that not only is it assaulting your ears it shoots the brass casings out about 30 feet so you're getting physically assaulted as you're uh if you're standing next to it so. well i know you knocked my camera over two tables over <laughs> when i was videotaping last time we were at the range that was pretty awesome yeah and that this is a good um example of where barrel length and powder burn all can affect suppression because even most suppressors on the market will make a firearm hearing safe but this one with a Sandman Long, which is one of the probably, you know, it's all it's all opinion, but one of the at one time was one of the best suppressing uh, can, uh, suppressors on the market. Um, even with that on there, you still need hearing protection just because of how loud that thing is without a suppressor. As far as decibel reduction, though, most high powered rifle suppressors um, will take it down about thirty five decibels on average. So, 
You know, and I, I've looked a lot at suppressors. Uh, the the only reason I haven't jumped on anything yet, you've got a $200 tax stamp uh, recommended to set up a trust, which I'll ask you about in a minute on that. Uh, yeah, that's, and, that's one of those things. It's And then know. the waiting times right now, yeah. 11 months, 13 months. I've heard up to 16 months, depending on... Um, but you, you look at, you know, Silencer Co. or uh, some of the other big name online places just to shop around to see what there is. And you got to pay attention. You've got uh, caliber size, barrel length requirements. There are some 223 rated suppressors, but you still yeah. can't drop them on a 10 inch barrel <laughs> AR like I have because you've still got powder burn. You've got excessive force from that powder still burning as it enters that can. Yeah. So. As I mentioned, though, uh, wait times, you know, what, I, I know it varies. I've talked to you about it quite a bit before. There was rumor that about six to eight months ago, we were seeing four to six week turnaround times, <laughs> um, up to maybe three months is a good short term. I know one of our buddies bought a can about a year and a half ago, and it took, what, I believe 11 to 12 months for him to get it. <laughs> yeah. Um, is there any consistency to that, or is it all over the board right now? There is no consistency. It is all over the board. Um, so we just got three stamps back. Two of them for one guy that were filed at the same time. His was on a trust. Um, his took about a month longer than the stamps we got back that were not on a trust, but it is all over the place, and I think the reason for this is... You have several examiners. I don't know how many. I don't bother to harass the ATF over that information because it is one of those things. It is a good old boys club. They probably only talk to each other, whatever. Um, but these examiners are almost allowed to work arbitrarily. I don't think they have any type of quota of how many they need to get done. So you're basically dealing with people working at their leisure to get this paperwork done. Sometimes there are questionable things on, on the form for, which is what is used to transfer a taxable nfa item um they it, there might be a hold up with something but if there is no hold up uh it just it's you know there's no there's no rhyme or reason to it they just you know i don't think they're picking them at random there is a stack on their desk possibly and they just go in order unless maybe you call for you know the status update on your can and then maybe they get annoyed at some point they everything goes off the serial number on the item and they probably just you know it's possible they pull it out you know, oh, this guy's annoyed me this many times this week. And then they, maybe they put your form at the bottom of the stack. I don't know. I would like to think that doesn't happen, but you're dealing with humans who do have emotions and they let their emotions dictate their job sometimes. So, um, remember that, that when you're dealing with the ATF, they are work, allowed to work very arbitrarily. So they can change rules, rulings at the drop of a hat. So, um, but yeah, right now we're seeing, uh, we just saw about seven months actually on the ones we got back. So seven and eight months on those two. So, now, going back to the thing where you're talking about that three-month turnaround or whatever, it's so this is the information I got last year, and it was from multiple sources, so I am going to say that this is maybe somewhat true, but always take it with a grain of salt. I heard the ATF was trying out a, a program, per se, where they could get quicker turnaround on suppressors, or si silencers, whatever term we're going to use here. Um, it sounded like if it came in and it was a suppressor, they would look at it, get the, once the background check came back, they were supposed to get that processed. We did have a couple of suppressors. The form force came back within like three months last year and they were both in the same kind, which was ironic. But what I heard was they were looking for feedback on this while people who had been waiting months already for their um, suppressors or, or their forms to come back they got really mad they complained and once again as a case of gun owners shooting themselves in the foot atf didn't take kindly to the complaints and said well if you guys don't like it we're just not going to do it eventually they would have caught up and this could have been a standard but people had to whine and i'm going to use a perfect example of this we had one person he had two two suppressors i will kind of refrain from using the slang term can um, unless that's fine. No, we're good with cans. All right. So he had two of them. I love he, cans. He had, he had filed. We'll just, I'm, I can't remember the exact date, so I'm going to be very generic. We'll just say that one of his, his form fours were sent in in March or April. We sent another one of his in during that time frame where it seems they were implementing that program in July. Well, the can that we applied for in July, 
he got a stamp back for literally in like September. And he just got the other stamp back for the one that was applied for first, uh, in February, I think. Yeah. February. So yeah, he would, the first one he applied for, he was still waiting for after the other one. So it was just this weird paradox that, like I said, it's a very arbitrary deal. You just don't know. Yeah. All you can do is just apply for it and hurry up and wait. So what is the deal with trusts? Uh, I know with any NFA items, trusts are a big thing that people are pushing. So the trust thing, it's, um, I, let me state that I am no legal expert. And when it comes to trust, that is all legal documentation. It is like a will trust. You usually have an estate planner that does it. We do have a guy in the state. That's who what is, I was going to say, Derek, is go ahead and plug him because he yeah. is very good. I've yeah. seen him at the shows. I've talked to him myself. Yep. Very knowledgeable guy. We so. do have a lawyer who does do the estate. He does estate planning, but he is a gun guy. He does. He is a member of the Gun Owners Caucus, who we all are very familiar with, do great things for the state. Love those guys. Um. His name is Ben Rust. Uh, his company is Rust Law. He has done probably 75 to 80% of our firearms trust. Um, while they have their purpose, they are not necessary for the purchase of an NFA item. It, it may be a good idea. It, it's all personal preference. Um, I think it's good to have your firearms in a will or a trust of some sort, but you do not want to mix Title I firearms with Title II. Now, the definitional is Title I would be your standard bolt action, semi-auto, things that you can buy over the counter, things that you can go into a box store and buy. Title II would be your NFA items, which you would come into a specialist like myself or anybody else who deals with it and uh purchase there those are the titles you don't want to mix them up because a title one firearm you don't have to do paperwork if you pass away and hand them down with a title with a title two firearm there's going to be some paperwork now what the trust does the main reason let's go back before what is called um 41f and we can explain 41f a little bit um a few years back i can't remember the exact date 41f was implemented by the federal government that basically regulates how trusts are handled with nfa items um, before the implementation of 41F, you did not have to have background checks for any trustee or grantor um, tr- or um, beneficiaries on a trust. You were allowed to add people as wh- however many people you could. Now, the reason for 41F, I don't blame them for doing this, is you could have felons on this trust and it creates this quandary of who can touch the firearms or who can touch the said NFA items. And um, I have probably knowledge of cases where there are prohibited persons per law that are on trusts for NFAs. So I'm not going to drop names, obviously, but I may have knowledge of that. So, um, and I agree, it's it's something probably need to be. In. So now, after 41F with the trust, everybody has to undergo a background check for a trust. Before that, the trust was a, re- a way to get around the law enforcement signature. When you were buying an NFA item on a Form 4, you had to get the king's permission. You had to go have your chief law enforcement officer sign off on the paperwork. And even though the item could have been perfectly legal for you to own in your state or whatever, because Minnesota does regulate some NFA items here, we cannot have before, you know, we there was a long time where suppressors were prohibited and short barrel shotguns still are. Otherwise, we're pretty good here on everything now. Um, just short barrel shotguns are regulated. Even destructive devices are good to go here. But before that, you had to get the sheriff's stuff, and a lot of them going off of their emotion, not legality of items. They would go off pure emotion. They would refuse to sign off on the items, and it created an issue. So the trust, which basically creates a corporation that owns those, um, or legal documentation, which owns those items, did not require any of that um, signature or anything because it was kind of a nameless, faceless um, legal document. Well, that the popularity of that increased so much with the, uh, the popularity of suppressors increasing, and the ATF decided they needed to do something about that, and that's where it created that. So, so now the main reason for a trust is so any, if you want, people to be able to have possession of those suppressors at any given time you can have a group of people whether it's family members good trusted friends whatever um you can have them um on the trust and any of those people on the trust can be in possession of those it's not just for you know oh if i pass away these people will get them there is a way to do that and i will go into that in a minute um but yeah it's so the le- what i like to use is the term of legality versus reality 
with the trust thing um, when I'm explaining if you really need it or not, because it's all personal preference. Um, Real quick, um, after the show, I want to get on your trust. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> but any, anyways, um, the legality versus reality is, okay, so legality is if you say you're at the range and you leave your silencer, machine gun, short-barreled rifle on the bench and you walk away to use the restroom and other people are in vicinity of that and they have access to that, if you don't have those on a trust or those people are not on your trust, you're in violation of the law. Now, the reality of that is there's never been really any prosecution for that. But once again, you don't want to be the test case. Right. So you'd never want to be the test case of that. So that's kind of like I like to use the reality of the legality of that legality. So people like to cover their butts and uh, they make it legal and they get certain people on that trust. That's the main reason for that now. And then also you can say, oh, this is the primary when I pass away. You can you it's a legal document. You can lay all that out now. If you don't want to go through the trust route, because everybody will have to undergo fingerprints and photographs and go through that process if they are on the trust. We have done it. We have had multiple people do it. Um, it's one of the things being a powered by silencer shop dealer is great for because they can all do that easy. We don't have to sit and roll fingerprints every time and all that stuff. So, um, but, uh, if you choose not to go the trust route, which can add a little bit of extra time onto the transfer process because everybody has to go through a background check. And we did run into one situation. Our longest uh, approval time was probably almost two years. And there were four people, I believe, on the trust. Well, I think the holdup with the background check is one of the gals on the trust had, like, top-level security clearance in the military. And that creates like a blip or a red flag that they need to investigate further. I don't oh, know shit. what. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it seems sometimes it just seems sometimes when there is certain clearance that well that they get flight. I don't think we've ever had a problem for me, with you passing no, a background check. Not so. with background check, but it, when you go into something with ATF and stuff like that, that's yeah. when I get looked in. My job in the military was I was an explosive guy. So I, I had clearances yeah. to work with explosives and some of the other stuff I'm not going to get into. But uh, yes, it has been a thing. I know here in Cold Spring, this was years ago, there happened to be some dynamite missing from one of the uh, quarries. It happened to coincide right when I got home on leave, <laughs> and I had two guys come up to the house and ask uh, where I was that night, and I was out of state, um, still traveling, and they're like, oh, okay. But it, it does. You put a blip on radars. Yeah, it does, and while we've never had your background check it held up, a lot of them that we've had get held up, you know, they're just like, well, I did have this security clearance, or one guy was like an art, he drove for an armored car company, but this lady, I asked her that, and she said, well, yeah, I had top-level security clearance in the military, and I'm like, that's probably what held the background check up for a while. Um, but, and that kind of, I think that kind of wraps up the whole trust thing. Now, to move on to the issue that people are most worried about, if I die, what happens to my said item? You know, whether, regardless of the NFA item, you got to remember the transfer process is the same on all of these. And I can touch on that again if that question comes up again. Um, if you pass away, what it does is it transfers on a Form 5. It is a transfer, it is a tax-free transfer of an NFA item. So that's what we would use to transfer it to, like, agencies and stuff like that. It will transfer then to your power of attorney or whoever would be designated to be your next in line, whether it's a spouse, parent, sibling, you know, if it's going to be a best friend or something, that's going to have to be written up in legal documentation. Most likely it's going to be a very close family member, the next person in line. So that would be a spouse if you're married. And if not, you're like I said, what it all comes down to is having your legal documentation in order. Minnesota tends to be a nanny state, so that is a must in this state. Have your legal documentation in order. Ben Rust did do a video with one of my other friends, Dave Tim, on legal documentation. If I can ever find that link, I'll I can share that somewhere. So, um, so unless there's send that over to Patrick, so you yeah, can get that up. On unless the you know Ben Ben would be a good guy to get a hold of just to have a quick segment on. And that's what I was going to say. So, I might connect with you after this, Derek, and get his contact. Yeah, and just see if even if I can get him to call into the show for one of these shows and ha answer some questions. I think it'd be a good way to, for him to promote himself and to get the real what's going on out there out to the, yeah. the, the listeners. I don't ever want to have conjecture in here with us when it comes to legal type things. Oh, absolutely. I can have conjecture of, I don't like Glocks, you two do like Glocks, but that's all conjecture. 
I, I don't well, want because that. we're a little bit smarter. Well, I, I go, I tend to go for the Belgian Tupperware over the Austrian Tupperware. Fair so. enough. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I just don't like, I don't like big plastic bricks that aim differently than everything else on the planet. No, I, I understand people's argue with that argument with that perfectly. So, I mean, I understand that Glocks are wonderful working firearms, you know, excellent designs. But yeah, they don't fit everybody's hand the same way, no, and that's don't. what it comes down to. So, and, you know, a lot of people, it just doesn't have... Sorry, Mike, I had, I, had to, I had to give you a little bit of hell with your brand so, new 9 you brought just for show us today. Yeah. So, that kind of, I think that kind of touches base what with my knowledge on how the trusts work and the Form 5 process and everything, because trust me, there is an ATF form for everything, so... Yes, there is. I, I've learned that since and I uh, like have it, my FFL. It goes back to the fact that I'm still learning. I have to, like, with doing the dealer to dealer thing, we had to, I had to do investigating. I had to actually do some reading and go through statutes, so. Most nerve wracking thing I did was my first Nick's check on somebody sitting there <laughs> filling out the paperwork, call it in, and they talk so fast when they give you the numbers and information. Yes. And I, they, uh, it was actually a, uh, I had to wait to proceed, so they had to pass me to someone else on the phone, and then that lady asked me for the number. I'm like, uh, yeah, she said something, but she said it so fast and put me on hold, I got one letter or one number out of that sequence down, and yep. so they had to go back in it, but it was lucky for the customer it was uh, released that, that day. Um, That's why the Nix E-Check is a wonderful advancement in ATF uh, technology, because they tend to be a little bit behind. We yeah. still were faxing documents to them a couple years ago they finally give and they have like super secret emails that they give you if you need to correct things like i screwed up a serial number on an sbr actually i did not screw the number up it was their system that did it because i just failed to follow their directions perfectly so which yep. are very can be very uh um confusing convoluted so, yes they, they leave it open for the uh retailer to make mistakes they do they make things very confusing and i don't even think it's intentional i think it is a level of incompetence i will say that because there is there is a level you're dealing once again going back to the human error type thing well so. let's let's real quick derek we have our, our board up here matthew is our board up every week and when I got my AR Wait, pistol, so you're 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 bringing me up when you start talking about I in, incompetence. Well, no, 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 not incompetence. I appreciate that. No, not a problem. <laughs> but no, it's not the incompetence. It's when I had my AR pistol that I bought with through you, right? He came over to the house and was looking at it, and I was like, okay, this upper because that was my 300 blackout, and yeah. that's a seven and a half inch barrel. Yep. I can't put that legally on my lower for my rifle. That becomes an SBR. Okay. Yes. And he was sitting there going, wait, you can't take that piece off of that gun that's legal and put it on that gun that's identical, basically. But the, but the stock was the, the only difference, right? Correct. It just okay. has a butt stock. Yeah. Well, we'll get into yeah, this it, later, it, 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 too. It blew, it blew my mind. The <laughs> incompetence on many levels, whether it's I, I the think... law doesn't make sense or we are just behind the times on things. Faxing? You shouldn't be faxing things within no, the last two years. I it am should not, not be a thing. I am not kidding you. We still had to fax paperwork to them, and we still have a fax machine for that reason. But recently, <laughs> we get the super secret email that they only oh. give out one requested. So, but that, my my point of bringing Matthew in on this is there are so many questions because you look at all these laws and you can read them and you can talk to guys like you, Derek, and get the real answers. But when you're trying to figure it out on your own. It's just a mess and yeah. web of, okay, I can have a pistol, an AR pistol, but I can't put a vertical grip on that AR pistol or it becomes something different, an AOW. I, oh, how about this? How about I got that lower. Derek, I purchased that lower from you. Yes. For an AR. Yes. I was told if I didn't register that as a pistol that I could not build that into a pistol <laughs> by somebody who was apparently... Not educated. But yet you as the owner can take that pistol, build it into a rifle. Let's... I could build it... From what he sold me, I could build it into whatever I wanted. Yeah. So let's touch on that real quick. First of all, let's go to the registration. thing. There is no such thing, at least in this state, as registration. Registration is actually... It's funny because, once again, you have this paradox. Registration is supposedly illegal, but NFA items were made... To be registered in 1934, and it was all based on taxes. So your Form 4 is actually a tax document. All that stuff is all tax documents. It all comes down to internal revenue service. But anyways, that's so the size. So can I of write that off at the end of the year? <laughs> the 
you know, we, we we do write off our SOT fees and everything, so I yeah. don't know what that really goes towards, but we do. We write off whatever we can. But anyways, um, registration of a Title I firearm does not exist. At least I hear some states have tried some kind of registration, but technically it does not exist. I don't think it's very it can be enforced. Um, Michigan has something where they're doing that I, That's now. what I thought, but really I don't yeah. think it holds much merit if you just ignore it. But anyways... Uh, don't take our word for it. Yeah, exactly. Don't take my word. Don't, do. don't do not listen to Derek it. on ignore it. Please <laughs> do not just. Yeah, take... don't don't take my word for it. I'm a huge libertarian, so I mean, I I get very hot headed in at some of these laws when I have to read into them. It just it makes you cross eyed and, and want to lose your mind. But anyways, going back to what I do know, what is absolute is a a, a few years back i believe it was bef- it was not the last 4473 revision but the one before that bef- they they basically added a section onto the 4473 where you can check other firearm um before that your only selection was handgun or long gun so when you were to buy a firearm receiver which is considered a generic firearm it has no it is not neither a long gun or handgun. You could check whatever you wanted to. Well, with an AR receiver, you could check law, uh, pistol, and it could be built either way. And this goes to all the laws that I think we can get into a little later. Um, but when they added that, now as a receiver, you check other. You don't have to check handgun or rifle. You probably still could. I think there's still a gray area there, but don't quote me on that. Now we just check other, and it leaves it up to the end purchaser. They can build it how they want. You do not have to have pistol engraved on the receiver. Despite what some neckbeards think, you do not have to have it engraved. It is There is no legal merit to have it engraved. People do it, or companies do it, just to draw that line, to, to, note, to, to make sure that you know that it's a pistol. It is built a pistol, but it is not required. I, you, you will buy pistols, whether they're from one of our local companies, APF, or, you know, whether it's Anderson, whether it's Nevesky, whoever, it, a lot of them will not say pistol. Rock River Arms is the only company I know that engraves pistol on their pistols. Even even my PSA doesn't have no, it engraved. No, but keep in mind, it once again, it all comes to the end purchaser. If you buy a receiver and you want pistol engraved on it, it is your personal choice. But um, remember that... Everything has an intent deal to it, so remember that the ATF works arbitrarily, and there are so many things that you can be in violation of and never know. So, but there are certain ways a pistol has to be configured, there are certain ways a rifle has to be configured, and I don't know if we want to go into that right now versus Probably the NFA, not today. or that, that, are there things you want to touch on right now before so, well, that? I'll tell you what, real quick, we're going to spread this into two episodes, because some of this with the suppressors and some of the legalities is definitely going to drag out. We do yeah. like to keep our shows to an hour long, um, but... Let's finish off the silencer or suppressor situation, and then okay. we're going to drop into our next episode where we will cover SBRs, pistols, overall gun lengths, barrel lengths, etc., and talk a little bit about machine guns. A um, couple other things I'd like to discuss on the next episode is... You, you can go right to Walmart and buy them, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> well, <Except> cor- <laughs> can't buy your ammo I'm sorry, I find that one, one of the most just... I don't, I don't know what the word is for I'm looking for, but just like... Ignorant. Yeah, the most ignorant thing, like, people think you can just go to Walmart and buy a fully automatic gun of any kind. Fully semi-automatic. Fully semi-automatic <laughs> with a hundred foot magazine. Fully Ghost semi-auto. Gun. Yeah. Yes. Ghost gun. So, but people really think you can do that. Well, I don't what, understand with, that. With, I'm, I'm a very casual gun guy. I'll, I'll come up with questions, like, as you guys are talking, I'll just pop in with the, the dumb gun guy questions, cause I'm really casual about this, but, that to me is really moronic that people think that. And I think we can kind of lump the process in with the machine gun and everything and how that all works a little later. So, but yeah, if you got questions, more questions about the silencers, suppressors, I so, mean, let's wrap that up. So with suppressors, silencers, um, I know because I've been researching it more, there's a couple of firearms I'd like to put them on. Um, you can do form ones, you can do form fours. Um, but, you know the the mechanics of them mount types direct thread versus quick release uh i i always get confused because everybody talks about this type of mount um yeah 
So should, go over that for us real quick. Should I just touch on the Forum 1 versus Forum 4 real quick? Yeah, real quick? sure. Give us about so, a one-minute review on that. Yeah, so basically Forum 4 is the form for a tax-paid transfer of a farm. So if you're buying from a dealer, it transfers on a Form 4. The Form 1 is if you are manufacturing an NFA item, which is perfectly legal for human beings. So everybody sees everything about the oil filter suppressors and all that. You can do that legally. There is a way to do that legally. You have to file it on a form four or form one, excuse me. Um, or if you're, there are kits, you can buy your own kit to make a suppressor. You do it on a form one. The advantage of that is you will get the, the paperwork back within probably six weeks to two months. You will have a turnaround. The disadvantage is you're not going to get a super strong product in the end. For 22 long rifle purpose, probably excellent. But otherwise, you know, you're, you are sacrificing something with the time, but a lot of people do it as their own deal. And we'll, we'll get into the manufacturing of that later, just to touch on those two forms. Now, as far as mount systems, uh, for suppressors, tons of tons of tons of different, tr- different choices. Every manufacturer has their own, um, type of mount. The nice thing about that is with the mount systems, there has become an industry standard. For threads for suppressors. I think it's one and three seven eighths by twenty-four, if I'm not mistaken. Uh Dead Air is using it, Silencer Co. is using it. There's a new company called Energetic Armament who are primarily using the Dead Air mount systems, uh, which have become almost a standard of the industry. Um now most of your rimfire suppressors are going to be direct thread. Um and I should probably touch on the types of suppressors real quick. You have rimfire. You have handgun caliber or pistol caliber. You have high-powered rifle caliber. Those are the three primaries. Then you'll get into some specialty stuff like big bore and then maybe some subgun stuff and then maybe some of the, the um, um, what are those, universal ones are kind of like modular ones, which are kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. Um, but the technology is getting better, and it is a constantly evolving market. You have to be moving ahead or you're moving in reverse with anything else in life. Uh, so... With that being said, your your rim fires are going to primarily be direct thread. There are, were some cool three lug setups out there, quick disconnects, which Griffin Armament had one. Gemtech does make one, but I don't know what's going on with Gemtech. Smith and Wesson and Gemtech are apparently suing each other right now. I have no idea, but um, you have direct uh, direct thread on rifles. Pistols are going to be primarily direct thread because you have a Nielsen device. Let's focus on the high powered rifle ones first right now. Direct thread. Um, these are more of your, your lighter suppressors, your ones that are geared towards accuracy, long range. I think their popularity is starting to wane because of how good the quick disconnect mounts are getting. Um, like dead air, you know, you have taper mounted muzzle devices, whether it's a brake or a flash hider, these things will, you can take them off, put them back on. They will repeat. Perfect. I can attest to this. I have a long range 308 that I shoot uh three or a thousand yards with with my sandman long it repeats very well um so there's a lot of companies they all have like i said all have their own mount systems it's all user personal preference what they want to go with so i would always recommend a quick connect like that or a like oh versus a direct thread because the direct thread suppressors always have the tendency to unthread themselves they can walk off and when they walk off you run the risk of a baffle strike or something like that if you're not paying attention. In some instances, you can't avoid it. Um, rimfire, you don't have a lot of recoil there, so it's not a huge issue. Handguns, it's hard to get around. you got a lot of moving parts. When you have a tipping barrel um, on there, an unlocking tipping barrel, you have to have a booster system or a Nielsen device, it's called. That helps the pistol recoil. If you have a fixed barrel, you can obviously run a fixed mount. So, so. a high point's a great option for that. You know, that, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I'm excited. I wanna, I want the Y2C or whatever, the Yeet 2 cannon or whatever they call it. I want one to play with and, and beat on and demonstrate. So I really do. I wanna see, but yeah, if there aren't as many fixed pistols on the market, um, I think you have some Walthers, like the CCP and some other ones that have fixed barrels. But uh, for the most cases, your pistol caliber suppressors, where you want the fixed mount, is with like a uh, um, pistol caliber carbine, something that's nine millimeter, uh, forty Smith and Wesson, ten millimeter, and you can get a, a pistol suppressor that will cover all those. So instead of buying a nine millimeter suppressor, if you buy something that's forty five caliber, if you look, that may cover all of those. And the the manufacturers will have their ratings on their website. It's pretty clear and dry. Uh, because there is a huge liability with them, you know, 
they have to know what it'll handle. They have to lay that all out because if you run like a 10 millimeter through and it's a nine millimeter can, well, you know, that creates a liability from them. So they have to cover their basis and make sure they're good to go. You know, they don't get sued or anything. So, um, but, uh, yeah, now a new cool mount that's out from dead air is their micro, uh, chemo system. My, I think they call it the mic key micro is what they call it. That'll be for pistol caliber carbine, so it'll create like a mount system like their high-powered rifles. So that's pretty cool. Otherwise, um, with the Scorpion that Mike likes so much, that has a three-lug system on it right now, which does have its its weak points. Uh, I did have somebody monkeying with it and stripped out my female mount that mounts on the can, so I can't lock it properly onto the three-lug mount on the barrel. So that has gone back to the factory to for either replacement or whatever, but I'm hoping to use... Uh, the new dead air system on there because that looks phenomenal. That scorpion so far is the only reason I want to get my SOT <laughs> with my with well, my FFL because I want that gun in my safe. So this bad. is this is kind of uh, for another you know to to be able to get one of those and this goes into what I think we can touch on later with the 1986 Hughes amendment. Um, it is not easy as a dealer to get a hold of a post, what we call post sample machine gun. There is a paperwork, there is a lot of asking please and saying thank you to be able to get those. So now you can manufacture anything you want, but the scorpions, they say are very, they're not meant to be converted. You know, not as easy as like an AR-15 is to an M16 or whatever. Granted, if you have the knowledge and you have to machine those, but a lot of these guys are putting these binary triggers in these scorpions or they're trying they're trying their own aftermarket like the, the SOTs they're trying their own aftermarket full auto stuff or trying to make the parts it sounds like they're having issues with blowing these things up yeah. doing that so all right so what we're going to do we're going to wrap up this episode um and we're going to come back in uh do some more talk on SBRs get into the machine gun stuff a little bit more cuz I do want to learn about the uh, legalities of building your own if you're an SOT general public cannot still go build their own well and we can we can touch on what's legal to build and what's not legal to build um, for the general public versus manufacturer so and then uh yeah so again a little bit of talk on suppressors uh definitely wanted to cover some of that Um, appreciate the uh information you brought in for us derek uh and again i want to make sure people know go see you at midland armory and foley uh he does know his stuff and he does make the process smooth when you go in having the uh, computer kiosk in there to run everything um i do want to mention real quick before we head out for the day we are looking for show sponsors if you are interested or know someone who would be interested in sponsoring the podcast have them reach out to us through our facebook uh send us a private message through there uh, you can email me, Mike, at mhall, that's M-H-A-L-L, at blackmarketcodings.com. And Patrick, do you have any way you would like them to reach out to you, or is Facebook the best Facebook's option? Facebook's the best option for right now. I- I'm going to work on getting us some actual emails just for the show, um, and we'll get it going that way. Uh, but we are in the process, and we're still growing, so please share the show out, tell your friends about us. The more we can get out there, we're going to try doing something like a Patreon or something like that, get some merch out there. We're, we're going to try to get some stuff so that, you know, you as a listener can help us continue to bring good content. We can start getting some, you know, different uh, guests on. We can get some of the bigger names out there, and we can get some stuff like that. We can start doing some testing for some people and just letting them know what they, we think about their product and doing some torture testing possibly. Topic. I always look forward to torturing things. Topic requests, maybe? Topic topic requests requests are always always good. So, again, thanks a lot, Derek, for coming in. Absolutely. Uh, Thanks, Thanks Rusty, for running our board for us. Uh, Patrick, again, thanks for being my co-host and uh, coming on and having fun with the show. Uh, I'm Mike. We've got Patrick, Derek, Rusty, and we are out for the day.